Welcome to Saga, Ohio, a podcast by players and fans of Saga, the skirmish miniatures game from Studio Tomahawk. The first episode of Saga, Ohio, I'm joined by Dayton area player Jim Began. Jim, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me, Mike. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. It's been a couple weeks since our last Saga game day. Uh, how have you been? I've been doing well, thanks. Had a little scare with a little viral flu bug, got over that, feel great now, tested negative, so life is very good. Thanks. Uh, it's great to hear. I'm glad to hear that uh, COVID was not uh, not in the offing on that. Uh, do you have everything ready for Thanksgiving? As, as such as it is, it's going to be a different kind of Thanksgiving for a lot of people, us included, but uh, the, family, the immediate family's all gathered up and we are all set. Yeah, same with us. We're just going to do a, a little house thing, you know, my older brother, his wife, my mom and dad, you know, and me and Jenny, and that's that's going to be about it. So keeping it relatively uh, small. I think it's wise, uh, unfortunately. So tell everybody we said hello. Yeah, same to you. And Jenny says hi to you, by the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you maybe start us off, start off the listeners with uh, when and how you got involved in Saga? Absolutely. So be happy to. Uh, like a lot of people my age, I'm 55. So my intro drug, if you will, was D&D back in the late 70s, early 80s, playing with buddies in junior high and high school. And then college, graduate school, marriage, kids, I had sort of a long hiatus from any serious gaming uh, would get together. Always wanted to keep up with it. You know how it is. Always in your mind once you're there. But uh, didn't get back into serious gaming until the kids were old enough to drive themselves to practice, and I had a little bit of free time. So at that point, I bumped into a real nice bunch of guys uh, here in the Dayton area. Uh, as almost as always true, they're at the friendly local game shop. You know, you, you got to support those friendly local game stores with the gaming room. So I just kind of dropped in. A bunch of guys were playing Flames of War. Looked like they were having a great time. They're a really nice bunch of guys. And um, my uh, my buddy Adrian was one of them, and you know, these guys were like like most gamers, super nice, super welcoming. You know, showed me how to play. We played a ton of Flames of War, and that kind of spun off into other miniatures games. And uh, eventually, uh, Adrian, uh, maybe two three years ago, I think it was, introduced me to Saga. He's he's much more up on the latest and greatest in war games, and he said, "Hey, look, this this game looks really up our alley." And it, and it was, you know, so we, we've been playing pretty steadily since then. We'll, we'll mix in other things, too, but um, uh, once Adrian introduced me and then we started meeting other fans and other players, it, it really has uh, taken over a lot of our free time, which is which is great. It's very diverting, it's a great hobby, great game, and probably most importantly to me, the people who play it are, in general, very friendly, very uh, interested in history, interested in winning, of course, they're competitive, but... But uh, friendly competition, yeah, which, I, you know, really, really hits all the buttons for me. Yeah, I agree. I got into Saga a couple years ago too. So as as far as the people out there that uh, all across the country that know Saga, I'm probably one of the relative novices in it as well. And uh, um, but yeah, I agree. It seems like historical miniatures in general tends to attract a more relaxed and laid back crowd. You don't find the people who are going to go there and be ultra competitive and in your face and uh you know not there to have a good time it seems like all of us are you know we may lose the game but uh we have fun while doing it that's been my impression you know my um what what i really like you know this goes way back to when you know playing pickup basketball as a kid i I like those kind of people who play as hard as they can do everything they can to win but it's fair and it's um gentlemanly or gentle womanly or gentle personally, you know. So at the end, you know, if I beat you, you beat me, we shake hands, everybody walks away happy. But, you know, at the same time, I know no quarter asked for, none given. So Saga's great that way because, you know, it's a very – the rules to me are both simple and very complicated. There's a mm-hmm. lot to think about every move, which I really enjoy. And when you're playing a good competitive player like yourself or my buddy Adrian, you know, if you're not on your toes, you're going to lose. So 
you know, I bet Adrian beats me eight times out of 10 and that's fine by me because it's always a friendly competition. I know he's doing his best. And, you know, if I come close or if I beat him, all right, I won that one fair and square, you know, and that, that's how I like it. I like a good, hard scrap, but then it's friendly competition, you know? Yeah. I kind of cut my teeth on miniature wargaming with a, an incredibly talented and tactically proficient gamer. Uh, he's passed away since then. His name is Larry Connor, but we would play ancients back then, 15 millimeter ancients. And I would probably lose three out of four games to him. But that one game that I beat him in, you know, out of those four was just, uh, such a thrill to, to, to think about it and say, I've got to do this. And I would go home and say, okay, what did I do wrong? How did I lose this one? And you come back with a new plan and to see it, uh, kind of carry to fruition and finally get that victory yeah i understand what you're talking about with that it's, that's quite the thrill yes to me the mark of a great hobby is one when you're when you're doing it you can't even think about your problems at work or your problems at home or just problems in general you know it, when you're playing the game of saga you're really you're just you're in there you're engaged you gotta be if, if you're competitive you know yeah so that that's what i like about it is for that couple of hours or four hours when we all get together playing a couple of games you know everything kind of goes away for a while and that to me that's that's very uh that is very nourishing to the soul that that really uh, helps keep you going through the you know the, the the bad times that come up which they always do you know yeah so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your saga gaming opportunities how often do you get to play and you know who your opponents and stuff like that well, probably like yourself, compared to most uh, serious players, I'm probably a relative novice. Um, I um, play, I bet I play four to six games per month. Um, in, a, in a good month, I've met up with all the guys up near your friendly local game shop in Columbus for a couple games, and I've played a couple games in Dayton at our friendly local game shop. And then a couple games in the basement with Adrian. So if it's a good month, it's six or seven games. Um, sometimes uh, fewer, unfortunately, but that's usually where it goes. And then, you know, in the off time, if I got an hour to, to, to myself in the evening, there's always a project. That's the other good thing about Saga. There's always something to paint, you know, some new army to design, something new to paint. Makes it great. Oh, yeah. And we'll get into that uh, later. I got, I'm kind of curious what you're painting up and everything. Um, yeah, so it's kind of the same way for me. I, I do the, uh, the first Sunday here at the Guard Tower in Columbus, Guard Tower East. Uh, and I tend to only get in one game then because I try to be the person uh, matching people up and, you know, be the odd man out. But then we go over to Dayton on the third Sunday to Dragon's Guild Hall and meet with you and Adrian. And those have been growing too, which is good. So we actually had each of it. We had, I played two rounds there, you know, a couple weeks ago when we were there. And that was, that was probably the first time I'd played two rounds there in Dayton. So it was, it was fun. It was really good to get a full day's fix in with that. Uh, yes. So yeah, that was great. Um, and any listeners like myself, you know, when I first was getting interested in the game, you know, I would look for podcasts like this. If anybody's out there kind of thinking, you know, should I should I jump in? Should I buy an army? What should I do? You know, I would start at either one of those um, hobby stores and just kind of ask around. And the people there will hook you up with the people who are playing, tell you, you know, when and where. And there's always loner armies, I've noticed. You know, newcomers are welcome. It's no problem. You know, we're always looking for new people to fold in. So if anybody out there, you know, lives in this this part of the world here, you know, around Columbus or Dayton, you know, please, you know, check out those. They're, they're real, both those stores are really nice, very clean. They're doing a good job with their COVID precautions now. And, um, it's a good place to, to jump in. That's how, that's how I got started, you know, seriously as a, as an adult with this stuff. And it's a good way to go, I think. Yeah, I agree. And, and I know that we've sat down and I've sat down a few times and taught people uh, how to play and, you know, kind of a history of that with gaming. I always like to try to encourage new people in. And then you meet somebody from another game and you kind of, you know, you can tell they're a kindred spirit. They're just as relaxed and laid back, but interested in history as you are. You want to want to kind of coax them in. And I've been kind of trying to do that a lot with the Saga Ohio group. I'll reach out to people who we used to play uh, DBA with, DBA Ancients, and I'll say, yes. hey, you interested in trying this out? And we've gotten a few of them to show up. And some of them are regular players now. Bob Boggs, who comes to the Dayton show, Dayton, uh, you know, store every time and pretty much every time to Columbus too. You know, I knew him yes. for years and years with DBA. So, 
Yeah, it's a good thing. We, you know, you're absolutely right, Jim. Get to, get on out to the guard tower on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, we start at eleven, or um, the Dragons Guild Hall. We start at noon on the third Sunday of the month and uh, join in. We'll have an army for you, and we'd be happy to sit you down and teach you how to play. Yeah, it's a good time. And you know, something I'd be interested in, in hearing on your podcast. Just for other people, I know you've got a very specific way you teach the game, which I thought was was sort of brilliant. So if not tonight, like if we have a lull in the conversation or if it gets really dull talking to me, you, at some point, though, I'd, I'd love to hear you describe your teaching method. I think that's that's really smart how you do it with new players. Well, it's the big thing is, is, is to just... Uh kind of put that competitive nature aside for a little bit of time and give them advice and give them the options. Well, you could do this, you know, and this is the advantage of doing this. And then you could do that instead and kind of present them with the options because, you know, one of the, the types of games I actually enjoy the least is when you have no decisions to make. If you at least right. put it out there for them that here are the decisions you have to make, uh, here are some options. And then they still feel like they're in command there. They're still the ones making the call what their army's doing. Um, so, yeah. So, And I think it's a good idea just as far as uh, to actually have two people, somebody's learning, have, the, have them playing a mirror image army. You know, Viking against Vikings is always a great one. Because then while the other players using their advanced saga abilities, they're thinking, oh, that's how that one's used. I, you know, I understand that now. And, you know, kind of every turn, both sides, are, you know, both players – your rounds they're learning from the process so yeah that's a good topic we should we should uh maybe do a little research and talk about that different times uh on a different episode on how to what's the best way to teach the game of saga yeah i think it's a good topic and i yeah i've always uh thought the way you did it was uh very uh well it's it, it's very becoming for a teacher it makes perfect sense <laughs> to me that you'd be a teacher that you'd be good at that yeah and a history teacher too at that eh? so <laughs> yes uh, makes sense so, uh, speaking of, of armies and stuff like that, what are your favorite armies to play now, Jim? What, what do you enjoy playing? When I'm playing someone who's a relative novice or uh, someone I don't know that well or someone who is in love with a certain army that seems to me to be not as competitive, I'll play Vikings. I think Viking, you know, straight Vikings out of the um, Age of Vikings book. I think they have a lot going for them. I think they're a lot of fun to play. I think they're very strong, even against potentially newer, better, uh, more sophisticated armies that might have uh, various combinations or things that, that make them perhaps stronger than Vikings in some ways. I, I think the Vikings always have a puncher's chance, you know? Oh, yeah, and definitely. So, yeah, so I, I like that about them, and I, I like... Um, you know, for example, if I'm going to play somebody who's playing, um, oh, what's the list? Like uh, our buddy who plays Romans all the time. Yep. You know, he's got beautiful models. He obviously is very interested in the history, but his list is 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 never going to be super competitive. For example, in a tournament situation, you know, he's got the, he's got a ballista. It seems to me to be a relatively weak unit, but one he likes. I think just for the aesthetics of it, which I totally respect. Mm-hmm. So if I'm playing him, you know, I, I get out the old Vikings because I think, you know, he's got a puncher's chance and I do too. So I, I like the Vikings. They're probably the my my sort of sentimental favorite from from way back. That's the one I've been playing the most over the years. If I'm going to sit down and play Adrian or play uh, potentially in a tournament, which I have not done yet, by the way, but, you know, my first tournament, I'll probably get out the Yams Vikings, I, I think. It seems to me they're they're a little stronger than the the classic Vikings, and I really like some of their mass activation abilities, and I think they're very strong, even if an opponent never triggers your wrath token. Uh, I, I still think they have a lot of good abilities that make them very tough. So well, that's that's Yom's interesting. Like, because right, mm-hmm. I actually think that the Vikings are tougher than the Yams Vikings, but oh, I guess it's all interesting. It's all depends on what who who what army you're using to face them. Like I, I just think the Vikings. I'm a hundred percent with you on how they have a chance against anybody because it's like they have a counter for anybody. If it, you're yes. a shooty army, they've got Odin. If you're an yes. army like the Scots or the Pagan Rust, you stack up, you know, four or five abilities are going to give you, you know, 30 attack dice or whatever. They have Loki, which means they're going to get the same number of attack dice or almost as many. 
Um, yes. You know, if you're an army like the Anglo Danes, you throw fatigue on everyone. They've got so many ways to remove fatigue. So, you know, I, I really think the Vikings are like can can go toe to toe with just about anybody. So I would agree with you on that. And I don't know. I'm glad to, glad to hear you think the Yams Vikings, even if a player knows not to give you wrath tokens, that you still think they're pretty strong. It's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, we'll have to settle that one on the table at some point, Mike. But I, I think the Yams Vikings, you know, if if you can if you can roll that uncommon die and get Fury of the Pagans, where you're activating, you know, multiple units, I always like that a lot. Now, that being said, I do realize that better players know how to play Vikings to where they're very mobile. You know, they don't they don't initially seem like a very mobile army, the straight Vikings, I mean. But if mm-hmm. you play them correctly, you can really zip a unit right across the board and stick them in with the, against your opponent right away, which I think is the way to play the Vikings. So th- there is there is that counter argument, uh, Vikings versus Yams Vikings. But I I still think that ability to activate three units is is huge, uh, and I really like. Um, I really like their other non-wrath requiring abilities, and of course, if you know if your opponent's making the mistake of giving you a lot of wrath tokens, then you have a yeah. you have a ton of options. Yeah, they're in for a world of hurt then, and and I think that uh, was it called Northern Tempest or what the one that where they shoot the three attack yes. dice. And, I mean, that's that potentially can be devastating if you if you start targeting one of the little four packs of Hearthgar that people like to run around with you get lucky a couple times and by the end of the game they're down to one or two and they haven't even fought a battle you know so that's yeah that's right yeah nordic tempest you can play it with a common or you know or a common or a rare if you want and yeah three you know free shot no moves we call that when we were kids you know you just line up some unit and say hey you see that little four man warrior unit in the back you're using to get a saga die i'm going to attack it boom if you knock them down to three that they lose an entire saga die so i i think nordic tempest extremely good right um really like punishment you know that's one of those where um you're canceling someone's saga abilities. So, you know, and someone's got that, that big, you know, one, two combo, you know, a lot of armies have those, those big one, two, three combo punches that they set. They might take a couple turns to set up and, you know, you're just looking for it. They're waiting to have that opportunity to unleash a big attack on you. You can shut one of those down. It's so aggravating for your opponent. Oh yeah, it is because that, you know, you can figure out in, in many cases, it is one particular saga ability that sets off the chain that, that gets them to if you can you know, negate that, that's that's definitely tough. It's definitely tough. Yeah, and of course, normally it's more aggravating for me because I'll remember in retrospect, but, I'll see it. I'll say, oh, you know, I could have canceled that one, and then I wouldn't have picked up this entire unit. But that, you know, live and learn. But absolutely, that's a that's a nice one if you if you know the other boards well enough to see what's going on before it actually gets unleashed on you. So I, I like that one. All right. So we got Vikings and we got Yams Vikings. And what else do you like to play? Oh, well, my current favorite, you know, my, my latest and greatest I've been playing a lot with are my Skraylings. So they're, they're, they're a very interesting uh, looking army, I think. And their, their, their board is very interesting. So I, I really like the Skraylings a lot. They're probably my, my favorite to play. If I was going to sit down and just, goof off and play something right now with somebody I, i'd probably play the scralings what is it what what about the scralings that really appeals to you why is that your favorite i, I i've got a, a a real interest in the amerindians you know growing up in this part of ohio of course our field trips were always to places like serpent mound and you'd see mm-hmm. or other effigy mounds or mound city group and you know these ancient earthen artworks just just fascinating to me as a kid and then so so the history very appealing you know you're talking about a group of people um you know in newfoundland basically we know from some of the sagas the vikings actually did encounter them we we think they fought them i mean obviously the you know the records from that era are sketchy at best as adrian and i always say but there's pretty good evidence that they fought We, we know for sure that the vikings had uh, a camp or at least a base or some people say a village with which up to 500 people and there's mm-hmm. archaeological evidence of you know boathouses for repair of their longships all this in newfoundland and you know, apparently there was a battle at you know the place they, they now call launce um launce o meadow 
excuse my French, as they say, <laughs> but um, it's fascinating to me the, the the history. So they're they're reading about them and trying to understand what was going on is fascinating. And it's just not a ton really about them. Obviously, they they weren't a you know a a literate culture, but. To think about a culture that was so advanced in terms of agriculture and building and trade networks, that just it kind of blows my mind to consider all that. Because, you know, when you're painting them, you know, the first thing you have to think about is, well, what kind of, you know, ornaments would they have had? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, if you if you go back to the historical record or just look around museums, if you go to the Field Museum in Chicago, there's fascinating artifacts from, you know, pre-contact where they obviously had these extensive trading routes all over the continent, you know, down to the coast, you know, shells from the Gulf Coast and, you know, uh, metals from all over the place. It's just fascinating. So they obviously had very extensive trading networks and they obviously had very advanced agriculture. So, and, and to have the, the societal organization to be able to construct something like Serpent Mound Mm-hmm. Here in Ohio, it's, it's it's fascinating to me to think about that. It is, and then and then this is a culture that contacted basically Iron Age, early Christian Age Europeans and shrugged it off, fought them off, and maintained their own culture for another roughly five hundred years. You know, if, if the Battle at Lonsaw Meadows, if if the sagas are to be believed, happened around ten ten. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until contact with the second wave of Europeans, you know, in the in the late 15th century that there was any lasting impact. So that's kind of fascinating to me, too, the, the clash of the this sort of Stone Age culture in terms of their material culture versus um, Iron Age culture. You know, how many times has the, the Stone Age come out on top of that one? For, yeah, know, not very often, years? that's that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the history is fascinating. The, the model's Depending what you want to use, there's some great models to Which, represent these people. I'm, I'm using uh, the, the Crucible Crush models. Mm-hmm. They, they have a um, really interesting uh, game system, Flint and Feather, right. which I haven't yeah. actually played, but I, I stole all the models from that, and they're really well done in my opinion. Yeah, I've got and, some of them too, and they, they are just absolutely stunningly gorgeous figures. They're probably some of the best paint jobs I've ever done myself in my life is – on some of those so yeah they are gorgeous figures gorgeous figures i agree yeah that the, you know like like adrian says it's almost impossible to make a bad many look good but a good many will make even a mediocre painter look good that's kind of where i'm at with these guys you know coming off the paint the paint stand i think hey these guys don't look too shabby you know yeah. of course you can you know as long as you stick to a, a certain uh, color palette i don't think you can go too far wrong you know i, I wouldn't put a bunch of blues and greens on them so i don't know where they would have gotten those pigments but mm-hmm. you know you think about things like red ochre they probably use you know colors of that type a lot there's, there's talk of you know uh, the um roanoke settlement you know we're lucky in that one of the the governors did a lot of drawings line drawings and color drawings of the roanoke area indians we're taught it's 500 years later granted but you have some idea of what, at least what colors and, you know, what pigments and tattoos might have occurred to um, pre-contact Native Americans. So, you know, there, there's some ways you can think about putting it together, which makes it fun. But, yeah, those models, are, they're hard to make look bad, I think. <laughs> they're pretty sharp, good dynamic poses and all that. And then, you know, they got a really fun board, I think. Yeah, let's let's talk about that uh, that board. So... Um, the whole idea of totems, that's, I mean, uh, first of all, for people who don't know, there's more than just the board out there. There's like a three page rule thing that you can download from the studio Tomahawk site, uh, which explains a little bit more, but, uh, talk to them, talk a little bit about the totems, uh, how it works and what are your favorite totems that you kind of your go-to ones that you do first? Yes. The, the Scralings board has relatively unique, well, a couple of unique mechanisms. One is they do not have their own set of dice. You use any other set of dice you want, and the the different um, basic abilities and advanced saga abilities are based on one of a kind, two of a kind, three different ones, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting mechanism. So you know, you roll your saga dice. And maybe you have 
you know, if you're using the Viking dice, you know, you have one or two of the rares, you know, three of the three of the commons and one of the one of the um, one of the uh, uncommons. You sort of mix them up, not so much by their rarity, but you know, you need two of a kind to activate one ability. Mm-hmm. Three of three different kinds for a different one. Once you get those kind of sorted out, then you have to think about putting down the totems. The totems are long-lasting upgrades. They last the entire lifespan of your unit. So, for example, uh, Eagle Totem. You know, uh-huh. you roll your Saga dice. To activate Eagle Totem, you're going to need two of a kind. So two rare or two uncommon or two common, whatever. But you put that on your board. You pick it up during the orders phase, and that gives your whatever unit you put it on an upgrade. In this case, with Eagle, they get plus one for shooting attacks. Their first shooting attack only, but still, nice upgrade. So obviously, you'd want to put that on one of your units of um, of Scralings, who, or I'm sorry, on one of your units of um, one of your units of your Bowmen, mm-hmm. which in this case is going to be Levies. And so you've got a nice unit of levies, boom, you put Eagle Totem on for the rest of the game or until they're they're wiped out, they're going to be plus one on shooting. So that's an obvious one. I always try to get that up. Um, Puma is a cool one because with that one, once you put it on a unit, it always generates at least one, it always generates a Saga die no matter how many units, no matter how many figures it has on it. So... It generates an additional saga die. So in other okay, words, you so get two for that unit instead of one. It's like it's like a hearthguard unit that always generates at least one, even if there's only one figure, but it always generates two. Oh wow! And that that unit's going to act as is going to have the bodyguards rule for your warlord. So that's a nice one to get up to get up early because then you're generating an extra saga die. So that's one I'll usually play as early as possible. It costs cost one of one die and one of another. So two dice can be one rare plus one common or an uncommon and a common however you want to mix it up but you know that's a nice one to put up early because then you're you're generating that extra saga die until until that unit's wiped out so those are kind of your one two eagle puma or puma eagle then and then beaver you know beaver it sounds strange but the beaver totem's really nice too that that costs three separate die but that allows you to re-roll attack dice so okay. that's sort of like that. I forget is it is it four on the Viking board? Whichever ability allows you to re-roll, you know, any of your attack dice. You okay. Know, I, I really like that ability. So, um, you know, Beaver gives you that permanently through the rest of the game. So it's interesting. Uh, you know, I've actually never played a game against Graylings, and uh, but I've looked at the board extensively because one time I thought I was going to be playing against them, and they ended up not showing up. But when I looked at it. One that you haven't mentioned yet stands out to me. I looked at Bear Totem and I said, oh my gosh, put that on a double size, or a, you know, a max size unit. That That's an absolute steamroller. So do you use Bear it much? Is. I do. It slows your unit down. Your, mm-hmm. your unit, its, char, its move and charge distances are only going to be short. Now, uh, for those who don't have the board in front of them, Bear Totem is one of each kind. So you're going to need a rare, a common, and an uncommon, basically. Three different dice. And when you put it down, um, the whenever this totem is active, meaning until the you know the, that unit is lost, it increases its armor by one against both melee and shooting attacks, and gains resilience two. Yeah, so that's that. a that's a big, strong, tough unit, and that that's a steamroll. You're absolutely right. Yeah, if you put that on a twelve man warrior unit. I mean that it's not going to go away, is it? I mean it's it would be suddenly I goes up to five so. and and then it uh, you know it's got resilience too and wow so but that's kind of number four or five for you then is what unless it's a situational thing you're saying what what I well, always 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 and depends who you're playing and yeah the, the thing about the uh, Scralings board some of the downsides to it it's a very dice hungry board you know okay. so it's it's one that. To me, if I'm playing smart, I'm I'm holding back the first turn or two, trying to get my totems up. Because once they're up, I can use those dice for something else, and I've got upgraded units. But in the meantime, you know, if you're playing a smart player, they're trying to run across the board and, and really stick you before you've gotten all your totems up. So, uh, you know, it, I don't always have a chance to get 
bear totem up just because it's a three dice one. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, I, I think it's a great one if you can get up. The other one, the other two, I should mention. I really like um, tribal tactics because that gives you an additional javelin attack with your warriors. And then possession is really cool on the board. Possession is an ability now it takes three dice, so three separate dice. You know, a rare, common, and an uncommon. But it um, allows you to put a separate totem for one turn on any unit, even if it's already got a totem on it. So then you've got a unit that for one turn might have bear totem, you know, plus puma totem or plus beaver totem. So then you really are steamrolling people. Right. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that they normally you can't stack those totems. You can't give one eagle totem and also give them elk totem or anything that, like that's that right. but for that right. one turn you can do put you can when you play possession you can do that so so what what are you have you how many times a game do you use possession do you think oh if i'm lucky once okay. it's a hard one to get you know like i say it's a dice hungry board i'd like to use it every turn if i could but you know by the time you know typically in a game of saga one of the beauties of the game you don't have a lot of time to mess around you know you're you're rolling dice in anger usually the first or second turn um, the second turn, in my experience, at the latest. So, you know, usually at that point, um, I'm trying to get totems up, but, you know, oftentimes I don't. But if, if, I'm, if I'm having a good game, I'm using it at least once or twice. Yeah, I'm looking at the what with beaver, bear, and possession requiring one of each dice, you know, one rare, one, one uncommon, and one common. It seems like you're only going to get one of those once per turn. And that's assuming you roll that rare, which, you know, you've played games, I'm sure, where you don't get the rare all the time. And, I mean, I, I've actually had times where I actually count the number of rares I got in the entire game, and it's like two or three. So, so yeah, you're right. You're going to not get that chance to do that. And then if it comes really late, you probably don't have the time to do it anymore. Well, other, you know, better scrambling players than I would mention that, you know, you can always use Ancestral Spirits, one of a kind, put it up in your orders board, take one of your available Saga dice and turn it to show the face of your choice. Oh, that's true. I'd forgotten about that ability. That's yeah, almost so, like the, uh, the what is the Anglo-Dane ability where you can ch- switch over one, one to the rare so you can get the the uber uh throw fatigue at the enemy one so yeah okay cool that's true that that's going to help you get that 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 uh so how many totems do you get on a, on average in a game on your units uh probably two and a half okay. on average you okay. know somewhere two if i'm doing really well three typically it's more like two now i'm playing you know at least, at least i think people who are very good opponents typically so, you know, they see what's happening and they're in my backfield, so to speak, very early in the game. You know, they're not they're not hanging back waiting for me to put up a bunch of totems and then and have me come at them. You know, they're they're usually coming at me pretty quickly. So what you're saying is since you've never used scralings against me, I'm not a very good opponent. <laughs> 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 that is not what I'm saying. Okay. No, no. Yeah, no, you're more no. than welcome to use scralings anytime against me. I I, uh, I I always enjoy playing against you, uh, Jim. Yeah, so. I think it'd be a I think it'd be a good game to, against just about anybody. The, the interesting thing about them, there's no hearth guard. You know, you have a warlord, warriors, and levies, and that's it. There's no hearth guard, and they're relatively poorly armored, so they'll get lifted up pretty quick. You got to be careful with them. They are fragile. So what, what's your build? What's your typical build when you're playing Scraylings, assuming no unusual opponent? Levies are a little bit hard to activate. I like them, particularly if they got the Eagle Totem up for their shooting ability, but it takes two dice to activate a unit of levies. Oh. Now, there is an exception. There, there's another ability called Vinlin, which activates two units simultaneously, you know, activates two units if they're within short of each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's a good way to activate your levy shooters if they're close enough to, say, your warlord or somebody else and you want to activate them both. So then you're activating two units for two dice. But if you're going to activate your levies by themselves, it's usually going to be two dice. That's that's pretty bad. So typically I'll do either one or two at most units of the levy bowmen. But I, I think you're probably better off with just all warriors. They are armed with, with javelins, so they're mm-hmm. fairly shooty as well. So um, you know, probably five... Um, Five points worth of uh, warriors and a, a unit of uh, levies is what I'd recommend, and then um, divvying yeah. up the um, divvying up the warriors so you have a four-point 
uh, group you might put in the back. You might even try to put uh, Puma Totem on them and kind of keep them away from the action so they're generating two Saga dice for you. And then, you know, dividing up the, um, the, the remaining um, warriors into bigger groups and then uh, one unit of 12 uh, levies for okay. uh, you know, 12 inch range is typically how I'd do it. So if you do that, if you got your five times eight for 40 warriors and you got your little, uh, your little inspirational drum players in the back of four, four figures, getting everybody else to activate, uh, so that's, that would give you 36 left. Would you do them in three units of 12 or would you try to get four, four units? Out I'd, try, of them? I'd try to get four. Four out of them, okay. Yeah, just just because the board is so dice hungry, right? So, yeah, I probably excellent. would. I would probably would find some way to. I always typically find some way to get the extra unit out of it instead of three of twelve. All right, so you you touched a little bit on the weaknesses of this battle board. It's dice hungry. Uh, your armor class is really low. What about its strengths? Why? What? What? Sh- what, what should people be worried about if they're facing the uh, scralings? You don't want to. Uh, let them wait. You don't want to wait around on them. You want to try to get right up in their face quick because you don't want to deal with uh, the totems. Because once they have two or three totems up, they've got some pretty tough units. And then you want to watch for tribal tactics. You know, tribal tactics. Even with the um, the revision on the javelin um, rules, it's still a tough one. It, it reads: it, it takes two dice, two two of a kind. Activate a, un- a unit to make a shooting attack, which generates no fatigue. After this shooting attack is resolved, activate the unit to make a movement, which generates no fatigue. And you know, with the javelin rules, you know, as you know, you're 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 chucking javelins at the end of a movement. So potentially, you can move your your screllings up close, use tribal tactics to get off a, a shooting attack, and then move them, and then attack the same or a different unit again with your javelins once more. So that's where a a good size unit of um, of the warriors, maybe you know that, that's for a, a 12, uh, 12 man warrior unit would really come in handy because then you could throw six javelins twice at a unit, and then generate very little fatigue. Maybe you know to, you could move them up, chuck javelins, then use tribal tactics, attack them again, and then charge in or or whatever, right, or just move yeah. them away. You know, so there's a there's a lot of um, uh, combinations you can use there. Yeah, so you could use that for the old shoot and scoot thing, kind of almost like a, absolutely the, the horse archer of the of the North American continent. He runs up and he shoots and he shoots again and runs away again. So that's that's good. I mean, that's uh, you're right. And you generated yeah, you generated very little fatigue. And if you know that might be a good place if you have a unit like that to put an eagle totem on them or you know even if you have a unit like that's got beaver totem then you know you can you can melee with them or, or bear of course bear would limit their movement up significantly right yeah you know you put beaver totem on there which upgrades their their attack you know and you're re-rolling attacks after you know chucking javelins at somebody twice in a row that, that's that's uh that's pretty mean yeah I, a couple other questions uh ancestors uh it's an activation reaction so do you use that regularly is that, what about that ability how's that how's that fit in your plans on your battle board so that's the one where trigger this ability after the resolution of an enemy activation so it could be anything it could be a move could be a shoot could be oh, a charge absolutely yeah so it, it takes two um two different dice mm-hmm. activation reactivation I, I I think it's it's excellent. It's one of those where you know typically I'll be looking to use tribal tactics and um, maybe Vinland before, but I think it's great in certain situations. It is it you know takes two of a kind though, so it's going to be a you know yeah a common and an uncommon at best. Yeah, I was going to say because it kind of reminds me a little bit of there's an ability on the Welsh board where. Uh, after an enemy unit makes an activation where you can activate a unit to move or charge. And I I don't know how many times where somebody would do something and then I would launch the charge of my double hearth guard unit at mounted hearth guard unit and from 12 inches away and they were just like, well, I didn't see that coming. So I was yeah, curious absolutely. how often you used uh, ancestors as a part of the, your battle plan. But it sounds like you're more, you like to kind of soften them up with shooting a bit first. I do, but I gotta say, your your thought about that makes a lot of sense. That might be actually a tactic I should use more now that uh, now that you put it that way. Except, it, yeah, it it doesn't have to be one immediately 
adjacent to the unit that your your opponent's activating, does it? it no, it doesn't. It can be, it can be clear on the other side of the board. It's and I right. like yeah, I like armies that have that ability to mess around and do things on the opponent's turn. I think that that's it makes the game all the more tactical and really fun to to kind of Absolutely. be in there and not just okay, you're going to you're going to give me your punches until you run out of dice and I'm going to turn around and give you my punches and you're going to do it again. So it's, it makes it more interactive, I think. So. Absolutely. And then anytime you've got an army where anytime they activate for a move that they have javelins they can they can throw them at the end of their move. That yeah. makes it really nasty. Unless the opponent the charge, yeah. Unless the opponent has Odin and uh, you just you just exhausted <laughs> your unit. <laughs> well, you know the other excellent counter that I um, ran into playing Adrian. Uh, he he plays a lot of pagan Rus, which mm-hmm. you know pagan Rus are. I don't think I've ever gotten truly angry playing Saga, but playing the Pagan Roos is probably the the enemy where I've come closest to getting actually angry (laughs) because they have the ability where, uh, oh, which one is it? I don't play them myself, but they have an ability where your unit takes an action, then it just cancels any further activations. Yeah. That is is serious. uh, Biting cold. Yeah. There it is, biting cold. It, so trigger, you, you, it, it takes, it's just a, a common too, a common or an uncommon. Mm-hmm. Trigger this ability after the resolution of a unit's charge, movement, or shooting activation. So I've got my tribal tactics all set up. i got a big unit, ready to chuck javelins. I'm going to waste a unit of, of somebody's playing Pagan Roos. And then my first activation is the move. And, you know, we, we went round and round, but eventually we, we, we came to the conclusion, you know, the, the javelin attack after the movement is an activation. It says activate for a, a shooting attack. Generates no fatigue, but it's still an activation. Right. So our interpretation of that rule is biting cold shuts all that down. So that, that beautiful, awesome combo platter, that big, you know, one, two, left hook, right hook, pow, pow, goes away. You know, you just lose the whole thing. <laughs> Right, yeah, I had the same exact thing. I actually played Adrian, uh, same thing, his Pagan Roost last game at uh, at uh, Dragon's Guildhall, and I didn't realize that either. I, I brought up my uh, first unit of six-mounted Hearthguard Javelins, and I was getting ready to chuck the Javelins, and he's like, oh, nope, I'm going to do Biting Cold. I'm like, well, it's part of the movement. He's like, no, read it, and we read it, and it's absolutely, it says, it a free shooting activation. activation. So... And then, but it's of course, free, I, it's an act, it is an activation that does not generate fatigue. So we get used to thinking of it as part of the movement, but it right. is not. It is a separate activation. So that's, you got to do what I did. I have a second unit of six mounted hearth guards. So they came up and shot the javelins at him. But still, he took away six of my twelve dice. So I was getting ready to throw at them. So yeah, you're right. Uh, that is that is a weakness uh, on javelin armed units is they can always throw that biting cold in there. Um, of course, not too many people have that. That, that kind of ability, but a few boards do. Yeah, well, I think if you're playing competitive players, I, I don't know, I don't keep up much with the, the sort of tournament scene or what the, you know, the guys in Britain who seem to be great players are up to, but I, I got to think we're going to bump into a lot of Pagan Roos if, if we're hosting tournaments or going to tournaments, don't, don't you think? Well, I, the interesting thing is, you know, you know, I write up on my uh, Legionaries blog every time I do a game, and until I played the Pagan Roos, I think there had been like two players using them just once each. Uh, and then hmm. I used them a couple times. And now Adrian's kind of on a back into using them again a little bit more. So, yeah, it's it's just one of those weird things. I don't think they're the army that is the sexy kind of uh, – they've made lots of movies about this army you know, kind of <laughs> thing that attracts right. everybody's attention. And there's not yes. so many figures out there that say, hey, these are Pagan Roos figures. Lots of big figures say, hey, these are Viking figures you know, sure. or, or Anglo-Dane figures or whatever. So, um, but you're right. I think they are a very tough army I've, as I've found playing them a couple of times. And then, you know, boy, I tell you, every game I play Adrian, it seems like it is, it is the same thing. It's like he comes in with this master battle plan that just has me on my heels for the first three turns of the game. And then I go in and I play uh, Urban Meyer on him at halftime, and uh, I come up with an adjustment, and I'm able to like barely escape by the skin of my teeth, you know, uh, without a loss. So yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, there's a lot of different uh, abilities can affect what you're doing. So you're right, you can't just say I'm going to do this every turn. 
That all keeps you on your toes. That's what I love about the game. For for every, you know, you, you look at something like tribal tactics, you'd say, well, holy smokes, you know, that's devastating. That's that's overpowered. But there 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 are ways to counter it very effectively. Yeah. So yeah, I I really like that. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think the I think we had a really good discussion here on your scralings. I look forward to to playing them sometime. And uh, um, so. Well, I want your... to give you, but, but before we leave the screens, if you don't okay. mind, no, you know, I don't mind. Just a minute, I want to give you credit. Um, when you play the scralings, you'll see that I've upgraded my totems. Initially, in my core imagination, I just pictured them as like a bear or a puma or a beaver, and so I had a, a beaver on the, you know, next to my unit that was using the beaver totem. But I liked your idea about getting some actual models of sachems or or spiritual leaders or, or whatever you want to want to call the you know the, the those people the the spiritualists or the the, the, the yeah I think sachem the, the naturalist is mm-hmm. well sachem is a term we use for the for the uh, post contact Amerindians it probably makes as much sense for these guys too so I, I ordered some sachem figures and I kind of did what you suggested and and it looks a lot better so I got a now I've got a Satchem figure next to his bear and cool. made a little little diorama of all the different ones. I've got a little a little Satchem who's got a, an eagle that he's using like in falconry, you know. And I, who who knows if, you know, Amerindians in 1010 had falconry. I, I don't know. Yeah, you know I don't think anybody would know that. But I think it's plausible. Mm-hmm. Other people have done it. So by George, mine, mine do. You right, know, exactly. So uh, I wanted to give you credit for that because it, it certainly looks a lot better and it's more to the spirit of it, which I think is, you know, it's not meant to be that a, you know, that a bear totem, but more, more or less that they're, you know, they, they adopt the spirit and who better to do that than a Satchem. And plus Satchem models look so cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you put that with all those other amazing looking figures you have on the board and I mean, it, it really brings it to life. And, and that's why I like to do that too with different, whenever an art, whenever a, an army requires tokens. I mean, even the fatigue markers, I like to make them kind of scenic. You know, I always kind of cringe when I see somebody throw the glass beads out on the table for the fatigue markers. And, uh, you know, so, but yeah, no, that's it does, great. It does, it, it, it's, it's a visual game. We're playing with models. You know, the, the game could just as easily be played with wooden chits, but right. we're playing it this way because, you know, most of us like modeling also. We enjoy the aesthetics of it. So I, I think it definitely adds the aesthetics. What's your most memorable game with the Skraelings? Oh, boy. Um, I I have to say probably last weekend playing uh, Adrian against uh, with his pagan roos. You know, it really taught me a lesson because I was thinking, man, I'm going to run over this guy. He's got no chance. And then he started laying... Um, you know, the, the biting cold on me, and then that other, you know, famous pagan roost, um, gotcha uh, ability, frozen wind, you know, yeah. two commons, and boom, everybody's got fatigue on one side of the board. You know, what an aggravation. So, you know, that's, I, I, I lost, you know, lost pretty badly. We were playing Desecrations, great scenario, a lot of fun. And I really thought I was going to have them because I, I like, like you say, I have my battle plan all set up. Here's the guys; they're going to use tribal tactics. I got an eagle totem on my shooters, on my on my bowman levies. I I had um, the beaver totem on on the guys I intended to stick in. Here we go, you know. And boy, it all it all fell apart. So yeah, you learn you learn the lo- the most from your failures, I think. So I learned a lot that day. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Most people would pick a, a victory as their most memorable game, but uh, yeah, it's it's all about the lessons you learn with the army. Um, I think so. You know, I, I like hanging out with teachers. I like I like learning new stuff, and I like reading about the history. And also, like I said before, I probably lose you know more than I win just in general. So um, yeah, I, uh, I I better uh, try to enjoy those days too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, my buddy Tom, my but my buddy Tom Bookwalter, he's got the coolest attitude. You know, he he always has a good, cool head when he plays. And I asked him one time how he does that, and he says he always he's happy if one unit does a good action. Like if he has one unit that's really successful and carries out some, you know, some task he intended for. If he has one unit that really does a good attack or a good defense. He's happy for the game, win or lose. I try to I try to borrow that from his book. I think that's a great approach. Is you can't always you know it's a dice game. You're go, you're going to win. 
right. and you're going to lose. And sometimes it's, it's pure luck. And you're going to run into the rock, scissors, paper aspect of the game with different armies and different scenarios. But, you know, if I have one unit that does something correctly and I'm happy with it, you know, I'm happy. So I try to keep that in mind, too. That's a great attitude. And Tom's a great guy. I know him, too. Yeah, he's he's an excellent guy to play with and just sit yeah, there and chat is. with at a convention. So what are you painting yeah. right now, uh, Jim? What's what's on the painting table? I'm I'm trying to finish up some Jan's Vikings because Adrian is um, saw, is um, committed to running a, a tournament out of the Viking book at the next CincyCon, you know, the the gaming convention in Cincinnati. Now everything obviously, you know, in, in 2020 and early 2021 is kind of up in the air, but um, um, and, and CincyCon is already postponed. I don't know if you saw that. On yeah, the, I did see page. that. Yeah, unfortunately that. but but it sounds like they're still going to try to have the thing and i think it's maybe 50 50 to be able to pull it off depending on how things go so um adrian's going to um uh, run a tournament there he's talking about um having 16 players mm-hmm. so eight tables and uh, he's going to do it out of the vikings book yeah, which i think makes a lot of sense you know i i really like the new hannibal book looking through it but you know most of us aren't going to have armies for that and he figures most everybody's got viking armies one way or another right right yeah. so and that that would keep it nice and simple but he's talking about um that tournament going off in sensicon probably three games so i figured the alms vikings give me a, a a decent chance so i'm trying to paint up some guys with big danish axes i always thought that was so interesting you know reading up the history of weaponry in the in the viking era and how it, apparently there was sort of a a style change or a change in tactics or, or maybe just preferences or who knows what, but, you know, there for a while, Danish axes were all the, were all the, uh, all the rage. So I'm, I'm painting up some Jan's Vikings with uh, big two handed, um, heavy weapon, um, Danish axes cool. to go with my, to go with my Jan's Vikings. I figured that'll be a, a fun, um, army to play. Well, do you know what, what's the word on the street about heavy weapons? Are they, are they worth taking at all? Do, do the so smart players think, or? I've been, uh, listening up on different, uh, podcasts like, uh, Northern Tempest podcast and, uh, different video blogs like, uh, the saga Thursday one. And a lot of people are really liking the idea of using heavy weapons with a warrior unit rather than mm. your hearth guard because your hearth guard part of his his uh toughness is that that high armor class well you just dropped it down to a four with that heavy weapon essentially um mm-hmm. whereas a warrior eh, they got a they got a middling armor class anyway now you just made them that much more effective because they're going to be a, have a better chance of hitting so you know i've actually never used heavy weapons in either running the norse gales or um the Vikings or anything, so I don't really can't really speak from a lot of experience. I guess maybe I just don't like my figures to die. <laughs> I don't want them to have <laughs> have a worse armor class, and I can get away with. I figure I'll get the I'll get the plus one from the from the saga abilities and stuff like that. I'd rather I'd rather me being in control of that. But uh, but yeah, I, I hear that that's that can be a pretty deadly thing when you mix warriors with heavy weapons. That's good thinking, actually. I, I may I had that hadn't occurred to me. I may I may put together like that. I, I mostly, um, in terms of uh, my Yams Vikings with their heavy weapons or Danish axes, I have to admit it was more the aesthetics of it and oh, yeah. reading up on the history about it. So you'll you'll see some some um, some heavy weapons. I don't know if it'll be effective or not. I guess I'll you know I'll, I'll be play testing before the tournament. And I guess I'll find out. But either way, they'll run out. That's a good thought though with the warriors. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and and you could use those figures. No one's going to complain, cry foul if you use your your Danax and the guys say these are Huskarls with no special equipment. I mean, they look like Huskarls. They look like Vikings. So of course they're going to work for for the figures. So I don't think anybody would would uh, cry foul on that. Certainly not in this this you know community. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's true too. Absolutely. So working on some Yams Vikings. Working on now. You did you did mention Age of Hannibal, which uh, I also own the book, but uh, nothing really, no real solid plans to do anything. Do you have uh, one of those armies you're eyeballing that uh, for down the line? Uh, no solid, um, no solid ideas yet either. I'll probably end up. Uh, playing Gauls at least a few times, and I'm I'm going to try to get some figures and and try to get um, 
you know, maybe some overlap with my Vikings. Uh, you know, basically, I want to play Adrian, you know, and he's he's putting together um, some Greek um, figures, and they're going to look really nice, I'm sure. So I'd like to have something to put on the table against them. So I'll, I'll probably put together some Gauls. I find their history fascinating. I have to admit, I don't know a lot about them, so... I've got a lot of research to do, which will be which will be fun. You know, the extent that my knowledge is sort of Dan Carlin's podcast about, um, you know, the um, the uh, what do you call it, the uh, Celtic Holocaust, where he did a multi-part series about Caesar versus the, the Gauls right. and the Germans it was very interesting. So um, I'll need to do some. I'll need to hit the old books on that one and, and figure out something. But um, probably Gauls. Okay. Well, you can you can always, as far as books go, read the primary source. Read Julius Caesar's, uh, you know, his campaign in Gaul. You know, and I, and yes, I realize, you know, before somebody you know calls and complains or anything that uh, that's that's written by a politician, written to kind of say, look how great I am. But nevertheless, he was there and we weren't. So correct. There's no, got to seems... be some stuff in there that that is true and that rings true. And, yes. Uh, so I, you know, I would, I would certainly recommend that. And, uh, Andy Swingle from our, our group here in Columbus, um, he actually played the Gallic army, uh, last time over at, uh, at the beginning of the month at, at guard tower. And he just had a blast with them and they look like they are going to be everything that you've ever read about the Gauls. They go in and they kill masses of things. They get a little out of control. You know, it looks like that, uh, Studio Tomahawk did a really good job designing their board, just from everything I've heard and read about them. So you could always ask his experiences on it. Um, I love when a I love when a rule set jives up with what you imagine the history to be. Right, you know? that's one of the reasons I'm really enjoying playing my Moors now. That's my newest army. I've only played them in three games, but the very first game I was able to get the tactic working. I was playing against Mike uh, Stelzer with his Last Romans, and I had my two units of warrior. I call them spear, but they're warrior, no special weapons. Uh, and I would shelter my six man mounted hearth guardians behind them. Then on my turn, I would pop that. Uh, Horses of the Maghreb, which allows me to move a long plus a short, bring them out, we shoot them, and then I would use um, the ability to bring them back, perseverance. And so I would run out, I would throw, I would throw my javelins at him, and I would run back. I did that two turns in a row, and you could just see the, the steam rising off of his head. You know, it was like, what the heck? And I'm like, you know, this isn't gamesmanship. This is how they fought. They would that, go out, the they history. would attack, yes. and then they would shelter behind the uh, – regroup behind the infantry and they come back out again and i'm just i was just so pumped after playing that game and realizing so yeah i'm with you i like to hear when you know a game gets it right um yes exactly. speaking of which i guess i never really said what i was painting uh, as, as you probably know but the listeners wouldn't know is that um i'm almost finished with my moors as a matter of fact there's uh six more of the mounted hearth guard type figures uh sitting down there on the table who are nearly done and then I'll have one last unit of 12 levy, which are eight, eight levy figures, but which I'll probably never use that second levy. Uh, I'll probably never field it in a six-point army, at least. Um, and then after that is uh, the Carolingians. So they are they oh, are on yeah. deck, on deck. But, nice. actually, but before that, actually, I'm going to sneak in a couple units that I need to kind of fill out my loner stuff. Um, I have no actual berserker figures, so I picked up a couple... I mean, for all the world, they look like Conan the Barbarian uh, type figures, and but they they just would be a hilarious berserker. So I picked those up last time we were at Saga uh, Guildhall and uh, or Dragons Guildhall, and uh, and so I'm going to paint those four figures up, um, and then I'm going to paint up a unit, one of those unit boxes I also got from Dragons Guildhall, the Viking. Uh, Viking archers, the metal metal Viking archers. Oh, I like those. Yeah, I think that's a really good, uh, really good set of metal figures. They look good, I think. Yeah, so that's that's probably next for me, um, and then I'll start the Carolingians, and uh, we'll re uh, retake up the uh, saga of Count Drogo. I like to name my warlords and uh, give them a little storyline behind them. So just like I did with my uh, my Moorish warlord, which you you know of course have read the exploits of. Um, yes, I have. Well, see, there's just that little little bit of D and D creeping in from when we were kids. You know? Yeah, yeah, which, it's, which makes which makes it fun. But it's and, it's, and by the by the go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. no, go ahead, go ahead, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and by the way, I I wouldn't count on your levies never making the field. One of the things that I really like about the new book 
is the um, the Saga Epic. So, you know, there's rules for playing big games, and I, I always like playing a big game. You know, if nothing else, you can you can blame your partners for why you lost. There you and go. It's always good for you. It's always, you know, you, you can always say you had weak allies, but right. you know, I think I think it's great. It'd be so much fun to get uh, four of us or six of us and, you know, line up one of those big uh Saga epic battles where they got rules rules for. I think that's terrific. We one time we played um, Brothers in Arms out of the Book of Battles, and I I really like that scenario for four people. It's it's a lot of fun. Really works well, I think. Yeah. So and, and that's the thing that we do on our normal Sunday night gaming back before COVID hit, and we could actually game face to face. We did mostly multiplayer games. We rarely did the one on one competitive game that that saga is so this is kind mm-hmm. of a nice little tonic too um but uh, yeah i look forward to trying my first epic saga and you're right i guess i guess i and because i have more than enough horses too i could field a good maybe eight to ten points of the uh the uh, saga force right there with what i'm what i'm finishing up absolutely. on painting absolutely yeah if i have anything to say about they'll all see the light of day together that would be a really fun game there's something about a big game like that with all those figures out that's that's the beauty of going to historicon or you know um even some of the big games at gen con you know right. it's, it's just such a it's such a cool thing to see uh, see it all laid out there yeah, the so visual spectacle yeah exactly yeah absolutely oh which reminds me the other thing i've been working on painting I've already started up uh, designing and uh, doing some preliminaries on scenery for the SensiCon tournament that Adrian's going to run. You know, we gotta, we're going to need um, eight tables, so we're thinking we'll do two of them as winter boards, which I think are always fun. Oh, to that'd do. be cool. Yeah, and then um, the rest will be, you know, spring, summer, fall, of course. Probably have one or two fall boards, and then the others spring and summer. But we're we're thinking. Um, Adrian is thinking that um, probably the three scenarios he's going to go with are going to be um, desecration, claiming territory, and river crossing. So hmm. I've been thinking a lot, you know, if we're going to have 16 players, I'm going to need eight rivers. Oh, my gosh, yeah, you're right. Thinking, yeah, I'm thinking a lot about how to make those rivers. So I always, I, I think water effects are such a challenge, but they're so much fun. And when they, the thing about water effects is they almost always look okay. You know, you think they're going to be impossible to do, and mm-hmm. you know, at least for me, I worry about the modeling, and I always, like with any project, there's always that point where I'm like, well, I've ruined it, it looks terrible, I've got to start <laughs> over. But it seems like water effects always come out looking at least decent, and you know, they're always kind of interesting and fun to look at, so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to having those eight uh, river crossing boards. Wow, I would, I would almost try together. to bend his ear to change his mind. That sounds like a heck of a project, <laughs> but it'll be something fun to work on, that's for sure. Wow, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, they think... chose those three battles. I would have. Uh... Yeah, well, yeah, what, yeah. What do you think of those scenarios for a tournament? Because we, we, you know, he was asking me about it, and those are, he, he, you know, he, he and I both, we, we prefer the scenarios. And we thought they gave a good, you know, to, to just meaning of warlords or something like that. And we think those give a pretty good, um, pretty good representation, and and should be pretty fair for the different armies in, in, um, in uh, the. Age of Vikings book. Well, what, what do you think just off the top of your head? I, I would say that, um, and this is just a logistical thing, the claiming uh-huh. territory one, you're going to lose a lot of time counting up those victory points. Um, and it's going to be hard for a lot of us to finish our games in enough time, I think. Um, so, you know, because we're not used to being constrained to that hour and a half format or whatever we play as long as it takes so i guess that one scares me just for the sheer number of calculations you got to make um taking time but i mean Mm -hmm. if if it's simplified with like the rules are right there on the board there's like a little card or something like that and even a spot for you to notate you know that i think that would be that would make it go a lot faster i agree um well that's a good that's a good idea I'll, i'll i'll mention that to him and then the uh, I've only played uh, the crossing once, and I felt obligated to try to try to attempt the uh, the crossing, mainly because mm-hmm. as the Dave that you mentioned before with the Roman army was on the other side shooting his ballista at me, uh, so <laughs> yes. so I felt like I had to close. But I'm just wondering what would happen if somebody decided not to do that and just sat back mm-hmm. and I don't know. I mean, I, it's this is just just off the top of my head. I thought I, I thought. Um, there were battles that Adrian actually liked better, like 
the Battle of uh, Battle of Heroes. Is that or is the Battle of yeah, Heroes? The one right. with the but that take has the preliminary time thing of you put out five different things. And what's the one, one with of our, the? It's one of our favorite scenarios. But you're, that's one of the reasons we we kind of thought eh, not a great idea for a tournament because yeah. you, we 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 either set all the different random variables ourselves before the match, in which case you lose the fun of that, or you know your preliminaries take I don't know for any too much time. Yeah. That, oh, it might take fifteen minutes potentially. Right. Someone yeah, that's wasn't familiar with it. What's the one? Um, the one where you have the 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 soldier or the brute or the mystic or the princess. Oh, that that is that is a good one as well. Yeah. What is that? Um, boy, is that I like that scenario. Is that old? Like old feuds, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, there it is. The princess, the the mystic. Yeah, would, we that, that that that'd be a good one as well. I agree. I agree. So. Huh. Yeah. If there's any anybody who's got you know this would be the first tournament I have. Played in now. Adrian's run a lot of good tournaments, but not for Saga. He's always I've seen him run Flames of War tournaments and and Bold Action tournaments. They all always went very smoothly. But uh, this would be his first Saga tournament too. So if there's anybody out there who's got um, more experience running these, um, running a Saga tournament, and they're listening and they're they're you know smacking their forehead right now because we're blundering into some <laughs> you know idiotic mistake, please let us know. You know we haven't got any of these set in stone yet. Yeah, I plan on having people able to comment on these. I, I think that the, I have a setting on the site that's hosting it that allows them. And people can even do audio comments. So if you wanted to, anybody listening on this wanted to kind of call in and make an audio comment on the uh, on the site, uh, I think it records it for it. And, and uh, who knows, maybe we'll make that a feature to to kind of answer the comments from the previous uh, previous podcast. Um, but oh, now that you, fun. Keep, once you brought it up again, uh, the uh, the Saga tournament we're talking about uh, was originally yes. scheduled for CincyCon, which is normally March 4th through 6th or somewhere in that area. CincyCon has been moved back. My my ear to the ground, inner, inner workings, and that tells me that it maybe is looking back as far as October. Uh, but keep but stay posted on that. Uh, we will we will keep everybody informed that uh, at some time in 2021, you know everything will and going right. Uh, Saga Ohio will, will host its first uh, first tournament, which is going to be my first tournament too, by the way. Well, you know, and if it if it gets pushed way back into the fall, we can always do something at the uh, the Guild Hall or the Guard Tower East. You know, they have yeah. some nice spaces there, so we could maybe do a you know a ten or twelve uh, person uh, tournament. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I I, I I hope SensiCon goes off. That's one. That's really one of my favorite conventions. It's always uh, very um, efficient, nicely run, fun people. It's it's a we, we've always um, had a good time running um, like bigger convention games there so right and rich and jim are great guys and uh it's always a good 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 time there at CincyCon. so mm-hmm. absolutely highly recommended all right well uh this has been a great uh first uh first saga podcast at least uh at least we have two fans already ourselves <laughs> <laughs> so, that's right so, two for two so uh thank you very much i look forward to having you on here again sometime and uh hopefully assuming covid and everything cooperates and nothing gets shut down seeing you at the beginning of december at uh at the guard tower all right look forward to it mike thanks again all right well uh we'll talk to you soon and uh thank you very much again for being my first guest happy to do so